G'day, this is Senator Malcolm Roberts on Our Nation Today. Steve Andrew is the state member for Morani, and this is his second term in Queensland State Parliament. He's a fifth-generation descendant from the South Sea Islander Kanakas and has deep roots in the Morani district. Since the late 1800s, Steve's family has been in the communities from Rockhampton to Mackay, with both of Steve's grandfathers born within the boundaries of Morani. One of Steve's relatives was born on the banks of Sandy Creek in a Hessian hut, and Cedric lived to a ripe old age of 101. His maternal grandfather serviced in the 43rd Battalion in France during the Great War. Steve has a background in both electrical and mechanical trades, largely within the mining industry. His decision to represent the people of Morani comes from a long family commitment to community values and seeing firsthand how poor legislation brings about unnecessary family hardship and damages the local economy. Steve's passion is to work towards strengthening the local community and the economy and to ensure people are free to live dignified lives. That's really important to Steve. Hi Steve, welcome to the podcast. Senator Roberts, great to be here today and it's all those things you've just said are very important to me indeed. We are slowly, or I won't say slowly, I'll say rapidly, uh, losing our freedom um, and the way that we live. I can just see over the time period I've been in Parliament how much we've lost and how things are being impinged and how our rights are being removed. And when did you join One Nation, Steve? So it was, it was uh, around about mid-2017 prior to winning the election. So, um, yeah, we, we, we went through that election and, and we won and, and now we've gone through the 2020 election and we're back here again and we'd like to show that we've got a huge commitment to not just Morani, which is always my first port of call, as I've sworn to always be there for the people of Morani and also for the people of Queensland. So it's a very important thing to me, um, you know, to be a part of our our party, not only just the party, but just the part of being an actual member for Queensland and these areas that, as you mentioned, my family, you know, help establish and I grew up in. Yeah, and, and Morani's a perfect electorate for you because you've got roots in Rocky and you've got roots in Mackay and Morani's got a long north-south boundary, long north-south corridor between the population area in the south of Mackay, Serena, and the population area around Mount Morgan, Rocky, right? Yeah, that's right. My, um, on my nana's side, on dad's mother's side, they, the, Mr Sale, who was um, nana's father, they actually had a, a, a jeweller's shop. They used to take the gold from Mount Morgan and make all the jewellery for some of the well-to-do in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and wherever that might be. And, and they were commissioned to make pieces for all around the district as well. And you come through down towards St Lawrence, uh, my grandfather was born, born there in, in 1893, uh, prior to going to war. That's on mum's side. And then we have the South Sea Island, the Australian South Sea Island side of it, around the Homebush area. But uh, the amazing thing was that both grandfathers worked together on the railway. So they actually travelled from Mackay all the way down to Marlborough, Rockhampton area together after my mother's father went home, came home from war. So... Yeah, we, we are very entrenched in this area and um, they know every single area between Mackay and Rockhampton and they've always got a, a dish, a food dish, because when they worked on the railway they'd call it either the Mamalji Sling or the, you know, the, the St Lawrence Goulash or they had some sort of local name 
<laughs> that they used to knock up the tucker when they were working on the railway out in the bush. So, yeah, and, and they knew all the local families. And although most of the people in your electorate live in the north and the south, uh, you, you know and you're very well liked and very well respected the little towns in between as well because I've been to them many times and every time they just ask about you because they say, well, he was just here last week, you know, so you get around the electorate a hell of a lot quite frequently and you're well respected and very well liked by the people. You, In fact, uh, when everyone else um, copped a, a COVID backlash last election, you actually increased your vote. So I don't try and go out and gauge that. All I do is make sure that I'm doing the right thing by the people. So, we, you know, we had a, a situation where we, we had care packages go out to those people because I felt very strongly about the fact that they were driving all the way to Serena, couldn't get rice, food, couldn't get toilet paper. So we bought a, 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 you know, a full pallet of toilet paper to give out to those people. Not everyone has the money to run back and forward from a two-hour drive or an hour-and-a-half drive from St Lawrence to either Rockhampton or back into Serena to, to find some toilet paper. So, you know, we, we just made sure that we were always there. We always made sure that we were there in the bushfires and delivered food and water and drinks to everyone. I think it's the the, the level of respect you get is the level that you earn and, and you can only go that far. And it's obviously as we go further forward and when we reach into places we've never been now with COVID, now with the way that things are happening um, with restrictions, mandatory vaccinations, um, the way that they're locking people down, it takes a whole new meaning of, of trying to be able to help people. So we have to we have to think our way around that and make sure that no one goes without and that representation is as high or as, as, as maximum as we could possibly give in the circumstances that the government will allow. Well, I've seen firsthand, uh, whether you're with me or not, just the level of respect and admiration and, and appreciation people have for you right through your electorate from the north to the south in little towns in between, Mahabra, Kamala. But you're also known as a bulldog there because you fight for Queensland very, very strongly in state parliament. So it must be really annoying for you with the extension of the chief medical officer's powers. Can you tell us about what you've done there, please, and what, what, sorry, what the Queensland government has done, what the chief health officer has done, and what you're doing and what you've, what you've said? So the biggest problem I had with when I first wrote the dissenting report when we extended the first trash of uh, the, the, the powers was the actual separation of powers. We already have a parliament that's in the ring with a black eye, so to speak, because we don't have the upper house. So the checks and balances, the fairness across the board um, is limited because it doesn't have the oversight of an upper house. So we, the government of the day, it's, it's called a unicameral parliament where the government of the day reigns supreme, um, wields the power. And what's happened here, they've actually separated their powers from the Legislative Assembly over to the CHO, the Chief Health Officer, to make decisions um, that are outside and, and probably, you know, they're, they're not the normal way that we'd make decisions through the parliament, which would be voted on, debated, looked at through a committee process. We'd have people outside coming in and, and giving, you know... I suppose, a, an overview of what they thought about human rights, the way things are. We're finding in the mental health commissioners and all the different commissioners that come involved, we're seeing that the mental health is, um, you know, is in a situation where it's in dire straits. Um, young people, older people, middle-aged businesses are being 
you know, decimated um, in certain areas, mainly down south. Not as much so up here, but there's still a knock-on effect as our other states lock down where we can't send our products and vice versa and everything slows down. Um, you know, even mail, I'm sending mail uh, down south and it's taken weeks to get there. So it has a, a huge impact. The, the way that I look at it, if we were going to be a government as such, we would always make sure that legislation was done through the House to implement these powers. As I've said to the government before in some of my speeches, you know, it's to rule you are accountable for nothing, to actually, to be a di dictatorship, you, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But if you're going to govern, you're accountable for everything. And that's where we need to be every single time. We have been implemented by our our local community, our constituents, to go in there to govern for them to make the best decisions. At this stage, most of those powers have been taken away um, from us, so I find it very difficult. I find transparency an issue. If you have a situation where you're going to get up in front of the state of Queensland and say, there's this many COVID deaths, there's this many COVID cases, um, there's this many people in hospital, you should also give the full picture and say, there's this many vaccine injuries, there's this many vaccine deaths, and there's this many um, other issues outside that we, you know, mental issues, mental well-being, uh, other issues that actually, that are generated by the same thing, and give people the full picture. You can never, ever, um, you know, just say half of what needs to be said and, and not give the actual full picture. And I think you can't make an informed decision on anything unless you understand exactly what's going on around you so you can really see it for what it is. At the moment, we're cherry-picking information. Transparency, as always, when there's no upper house, there's no one to pull them into line and say, hey, hang on a minute, what about giving us some information? We asked the Premier the other day. Premier said, look, well, you know, uh, sorry, it was actually the Health Minister. They went on to say that the CHO is very busy and it's amazing that that morning that they delegated to you or, or presented new two positions for deputies for the CHO, the Chief Health Officer, and I yelled out from the back, I interjected, which I don't usually do, but I thought it was very pertinent to this situation to say, well, if she can't do it, make sure the dep deputies do. Because I think everyone needs to know the full story and we're not getting the full story anywhere across all of the states. People are getting a whole heap of fear driven through them um, about what can and could happen, but they're not getting told actually what's happening. And that's, that, to me, is severely you know, severe misrepresentation of the facts in its entirety around the whole situation. That needs to be a part of every government. Taxpayers pay billions of dollars for these people to be in power, not to give smart, small bits of information, to get the whole story. They want to make a decision based on the facts. We're not getting them. Yeah, and, and your passion's coming through. I know that as an electrician, people's lives depended upon you using your, your intel, intellect, your logic, and you've got that in spades, and people appreciate that. But you've also got a lot of passion for what's going on in Queensland and especially in Mirani. So let me ask you uh, a question. When you've got a, a, a chief health officer, she's got the power to close borders, require face masks and restrict gatherings, 
and that will remain with her until September following a two-month review into the state's COVID-19 response, right? Now, you've had six extensions of these emergency powers. They've now been going on about 18 months, going on 19 months, and, and we're getting ridiculous decisions coming out. Mate, who's running the economy? Because what I can see, looking at it from outside the state parliament, is you've got the Premier wheeling out the Chief Health Officer and saying she'll do whatever the Chief Health Officer says. Now, the Chief Health Officer, to her own credit, has said she is responsible only for health matters. So who's running the economy? Who's running mental health? Who's looking after the state? It seems like no one is up here. They just hide behind the Chief Health Officer. Is that right? So... You know, all these things are interlinked, and this is why it's better to have the Legislative Assembly to to make sure that they have the oversight of being able to do this. You know, you can't shut something down without affecting the whole deal, economy, mental health, and and the way that it actually uh, pans out. You know, we go into lockdown. Hundreds of small businesses that own food shops have to throw all their fresh fruit and vegetables out. It affects them for months and months and months to be able to catch back up. You know, it seems the rent still has to be paid. The insurance still has to be paid. All the other on-costs still go, but the government will shut you down for the sake of doing whatever it is. Yep, there are cases, but we should be... There's always been throughout history this one precedent. You always isolate the sick people. You don't isolate the healthy, mate, right? That's how it's got to be. Why is everyone else paying a penalty or, or some sort of penance through business, through the way that they live their life, whether it's going to see their loved ones, because X amount of people in Brisbane or X amount of people that the federal government have imported have some COVID case. Why aren't, Why isn't it say, right, well, let's put these people aside and let's let the rest of uh, Queensland go about their business every day? What's, why, why do we keep doing this? Well, that, that's a very good question. Uh, and I know you've been asking it, asking it often. There is no plan, is there, Steve, for running this state at the moment? No plan whatsoever. There's no plan for the way COVID is, is being managed. In fact, it's being mismanaged. We, we see the decisions are so capricious. We see the health minister back in January this year when she said everyone must wear masks in Queensland. I mean, people in Bamaga have been have not even close to an out- outbreak and they've got to wear a mask, supposedly. But then it's like this. The health minister was asked at her media conference uh, when she announced the, the, um, the restrictions in Queensland back in January. She was asked, now, minister, do people who are driving alone in their car have to wear masks? And you could see that she looked very uh, taken aback. She was looking confused. She didn't know what to do. And she just suddenly said, yes. And there's no science goes into this. There's no, no logic goes into this. It's just a capricious declaration of what they want people to do this is wearing thin mate that's dystopian bingo and and everyone wants to run around and and you know what's next where are we uh and 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 the thing that that helps them is they they get all these numbers together or they show this big sign of 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 solidarity because everyone's wearing them not because it's right not because there's any science but as i said the other day in parliament you know, why aren't you talking about the fact that there's never been an out, outside transfer of COVID-19 ever? Why are people standing in the middle of some paddock somewhere mowing the grass with a mask on? Oh, you know, fair enough if there's dust and there's, um, you know, grass seeds or they're allergic to something. But this is 
out of control. This is just like, you know, it's compliance and it's visual compliance. It's, it's almost as if they're measuring the community to see where they are to what they can throw out next. And, and, and doesn't matter how ridiculous or, you know, how far-fetched it is that people are just going to walk along with it and comply with it. That's, you know, when does it get to a stage? We've got people out there now right across the board saying, we've had enough of this, we've had a gutful. And you only have to look to Melbourne to have a look at what happens when they get a gutful. And I don't think we've even seen the, the sides of the bottom of that deposit of, you know, retribution and hate towards just crazy laws, stupidity, ty- tyrants. It's, it's tyranny. And, right. you know, and, and from, from the start with these masks, you know, we were told initially, um, you don't worry about the masks. We haven't got any, but don't worry about it. It's fine. That, that's because you don't need them. As soon as they started cranking out masks, we were told we must wear them. Now, make up your mind, but I believe the masks are there purely for conditioning, so I recognise exactly what you're saying. And what happens in the absence of a plan, where well, there's no plan, there's clearly no plan, there's no data. I asked the Premier for a data back in June last year. They, they sent us to two links. Neither of those links had any data. But what they're doing, Steve, you know this, is they're running a fear campaign. It helped them in, in the election campaign, and they're trying to control people by, with fear and with, with um, discriminatory orders. Yeah, but at what cost? Like, you know, and this is, let's get back to the, the word cost, and let's get back to the word, you know, I think it's, it's time to stop following the science and start following the money, uh, Malcolm, and have a look at what's going on. Now, when they, when they actually designed the polio vaccine, the gentleman who, who actually who made it never took a patent out on it, and he gave it to the world for the betterment of the world. That's what his intention was. That's where his work led to. This is nothing. This is totally the opposite. You know, it's like we actually had people come into our office the other day to offer vaccines here in the office. Like, this is unheard of. It's unprecedented. You know, we've got to get this many numbers. Um, not everyone... The, the best thing to fight any virus or anything across the whole world is your immune system, right? Guess what? Well, all it costs is you to take a bit of time to make sure you eat right and to exercise right. Yeah, no, it doesn't stop everything. It doesn't stop cancer. It doesn't stop all this. But, like, this whole thing is becoming very problematic and everyone's starting to be wondering. It's, it's a little bit vexatious in the way that it's being rolled out. Like, you're trying to take unprotected people and give them protection to protect the people that are are already protected by something that didn't protect them and we're trying to take that to protect them that's just ludicrous <laughs> um, people are, are, are you know look fair enough um provisional provisional medications taken by people and now to take it to another level i've seen with my own eyes you can call it coincidence you can call it whatever um, there are already up to 500 people that have passed away using this. Um, I'm, I'm hearing from inside that, you know, even on the weekend, we had 300 people vaccinated in one area. Some were taken away in ambulances. We don't know. Um, I've heard about a young fella in his 40s, myocarditis, passed out, stroke, dead. I've heard of, of another blood. And I'm not, I'm not telling anyone fear. I'm, this is, these are facts. These are facts. I don't know if they're being recorded. I don't know how they actually go back and and talk about this to, uh, you know, the TGA and say, well, this is what's happened. Um, I don't see any reports. I've actually rang the 
the um, the CHO, the the CEO of the base hospital and and exp- asked about explanations on some of this. I know my uncle was going well, and and you know I had my auntie say to to my brother the other night he was going real well, and then all his organs failed. Just so happens it was you know after the the second second injection. Um, another guy, my, my another un- uncle actually shingles all over him. Same thing. Same time frame. Another guy, um, he's in there 14 days after second stroked out. He's still in hospital. Another uncle, by the way. And another mum's brother, who's another uncle on mum's side. Um, all his, he's in his 90s, all his arms gone black, and he told us the other day he's the sickest he's ever been. Uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, Malcolm. I'll tell you straight right now. I have taken every vaccine to leave this country. I've worked in Indonesia. I've worked in Papua New Guinea. I just recently went over with the speaker to Vanuatu. I've been bitten on the foot by a flying fox, and and they carry a special disease called Batlissa, and I've actually been injected against that, which is part of the rabies vaccine. So for someone to say, oh, Stephen Andrew is an anti-vaxxer, they are absolutely wrong. That is incorrect. There's no facts and no evidence ever. But I will not stand by and take anything that I do not know about that I've seen create harm, even in my own family, close enough. And I've spoken to many, many people now. Is it coincidence? Because I'll tell you what, there's a heck of a lot of coincidence going on around me. At the moment, people are getting sick, they're dying, or they're very adversely reacted to something that they've taken out. All seems to be within that, anything between the three hours right up to, to, to a month and a half, I've taken these injections. Everyone says, oh, yeah, but, you, you know, we've got to take them. Well, do we? And and the thing is, are, and we go back to where I was before, are we getting that informed consent? Are we understanding the full picture when the CHO says, hey, or when the Premier says, we've got issues, we've got people in hospital? Well, discuss the other side of that. I want to see the other side. There's two sides to every story, and we're only getting one side all the time. The media, the crickets and the worms are making more noise in my front yard than the media on it. I'm not hearing anything. And, I, you know, I was there doing an interview the other day and another lady walked up to me and said, oh, Stephen, my both sisters have had, uh, you know, these injections. Both of them had a stroke. Both of them. But she didn't want to tell anyone. I don't know whether they're, there's some sort of situation where they feel guilty that they've discussed it with them and they didn't take up with it or I don't know whether they feel bad about the fact that it's happened and because there's there's no scientific proof or there's no one from the practitioners that have actually gone in there and said you know this is the the actual cause of what's happened so they they walk away because there's no evidence to support what's happened but the evidence is one thing and then seeing someone either sick or or in a coffin or going to a you know like a um where they burn you to the, you know, where they... Crematorium. Crematorium. Can't even think at the moment because it's got me so wound up. But, you know, you go into a crematorium and they're burning these people and everyone's going, what happened? And no one wants to talk about it. I went to my Uncle Ron's funeral the other day. No one wants to talk about it. You know, like, was it? No one knows. Is it coincidence? A heck of a lot of that going on. And I just want to know that, you know, I worry now... We're looking at the school holidays. You know, the Premier's talking about 
vaccinating children down as low as five years old, their, their bodily organs aren't fully developed, their reproduction system aren't, is not fully developed. We don't know any long-term effects of what this could do to these kids. We don't know how this is going to affect anything to do with their future. And, and, and we're all in. You know, could, shouldn't there be some... Even the people in America are saying they're not going to have any information until November. They're saying that they, they can't... And shouldn't we be doing our own studies and, and our own checks? We've got people here to, to try and find out that some of these people that have done or been, been injected earlier, what's that done to them? Have they looked at them? Have they checked their blood? Have they checked their uh, sperm or their eggs? Um, you know, women and men... Um, have they made sure that their bodily function and their liver function is the same as it was prior? What have we done? This is scientific evidence. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to look at. Are we doing it? I don't think we're doing it enough, personally. No. We're selling it. They're putting plenty of money when they're selling it. Yep, and you're right. And, and you look at 12-year-olds. They're bending so many things now because the 12-year-olds, uh, according to the chief uh, health officer... Oh, Queensland Health, sorry, instruction came out two days ago, said that doctors are going to be given the authority to decide whether a 12-year-old is sufficiently mature or not to be able to bypass the medical consent from the parents. I mean, does that mean, Steve, that I'm going to go out and, and get a 12-year-old and say, OK, I think you're sufficiently mature to have a driver's licence and way you go on the roads or... I, I think you're sufficiently mature to be able to drink in the pub and give them a license. You know, this is this is crazy. They're bending the rules. But I want to, before we move on to another topic, I just want to commend you, mate, because you've asked these hard questions that no one else in Parliament has asked. You've put the government on notice, and you were the lone committee member to oppose the extension of the the health uh, the health orders. So thank you very much for what you're doing because I'm a citizen of the state of Queensland and I appreciate what you're doing for us. You know you know what, Mel, I'll just interrupt there and I'm going to be quite candid on this. I'm not against anyone who's taken vaccines either or taken injections either. No. But you know what? Instead of all having a go and pointing the finger and saying, oh, you're anti-vaxxers, what they should do is consider one thing and one important thing is to have a look at all the facts and ensure that when we go forward that we've got everything in a row rather than just going well i've had it and it didn't hurt me because that's not everyone in this whole in in, in australia or queensland there are people are made up of different gen- dna genetics and not only that i've heard there's placebos as well that are part make part of these um injections up that aren't actually injections that's part of the way they roll things out when they're a provisionary under provisionary authority i believe correct me if i'm wrong correct no you're correct okay well here we go. So some of these people may have only got one dose, may have only got a certain amount of doses, or maybe none. And they're, and they're out there spruiking to the world that it's fine. Well, we don't know that yet because, obviously, you wouldn't have the TGA with, with you know, all these pages of injuries and you wouldn't have the deaths if it was so clean cut. And it isn't. And I'm look, I'm saying, I don't care whether you're vaccinated or not. We should never, ever split ourselves up into, into separate groups until we all know the facts. Because I'll tell you something, it all comes back to bite you when you think, oh, yeah, no, no, he's, he's out of line. Well, let's have a look at everything closer and let, because we don't know long-term side effects and we don't know what it's going to do to undeveloped bodies and give these people at least the benefit of the doubt rather than making up your mind and saying, 
we're all crazy because it's we're not. People are dead. No, Tell that to their loved ones. And you're, you're an electrician. You go off hard data because if you don't, as an electrician, you kill people. And so that's what one of the things I respect of you. One of one of the many things I respect of you is that you go, you use your logic and your brains, and you've got a damn good brain. But you've also got the courage to persist. Now, there, I want to move on to something else. It's almost a complete contradiction of the topic we've been covering. We've seen that they will put impose any restriction, take away any right, take away any freedom of people to save what they say is lives due to this COVID. And yet, the same state government has come up with a voluntary assisted dying people, dying, dying uh, legislation that will kill people. So can you tell us your thoughts on that, please, mate? Look, it goes back to even, you know, some might say it's coincidence again, but it's amazing that, the, you know, we were, we were taken away or aborting 14,000 fetuses when we first put in the abortion bill. And now, you know, I've heard figures bandied around about 26,000. And it's amazing that some of that material is actually used in vaccine production, you know. Um, that's one thing. VAD is a whole other thing again. Um, you see it over the world, the world over. That Voluntary um, assisted dying. Voluntary assisted dying. Look, it, it captures X amount of things in society. But, you know, it, it actually drags in a whole raft of people that don't want anything to do with it either. You know, there's conscientious objection. And not only that, you know, people get... They're in a nursing home, whether it's Catholic, Anglican, no matter what. Some people do, they suffer terribly. They suffer terribly. So there is no palliative care. You know, just recently I had some friends, one one guy died and, and it went through hell and they had to get, because there's no palliative care, they had to access um, oral morphine and all sorts of things because we don't really fund it that well here in Queensland and it's pretty much non-existent in some of the, in the regional areas. But the thing is, they're truncating lives. You, you, you take the abortion from one end, the VAD and the other end, it's as almost as if, so when do we get to a stage where when you put a number of them something, okay, we've got to go, you've got to have a, a clear choice and understand of what's going on. So people with dementia, they don't get an opportunity. People that are really mentally ill and, and can't fend for themselves, they don't get options to access it. Uh, but people that do you know, like motor neurone disease and, and, and stuff like that, or early dementia, if they've got capacity, they can access it. So, but it doesn't sit really well with some of the areas that have to, you know, 10% of these people don't die straight away. They can be laying in bed for up to another two weeks or have to be taken away and tried to be extinguished in another manner. Um, that's really sad because if you've, my mother worked in the industry for over 20 years in nursing homes and you know, you get to know these people. You actually, mum used to take them out and drive around. We used to go. I met a lot of old veterans and stuff because they're very decent people that didn't have a lot of family, and and they ended up in these places. We used to go to dinner, lunch, and um, you know, imagine if they took a dose, and, and it's the worst case scenario. I know that it doesn't always happen, but then you have to sit there and and you know they're half brain dead or whatever. We don't want that to happen. A lot of, the, lot of the religious places don't want to be involved. They don't want it happening on their premises because, you know, they believe in things that, that life is, is very precious and it's a gift and they don't want to be involved in taking that life and knowingly take it. It's a hard one. There's some people for it. There's some people against it. They said it wasn't a slippery slope. 
it happens over there. You can go to Switzerland now. You and I could go in there tomorrow with our two dogs and say we want to go, and they'll happily do it for us. They won't even ask you twice. Gee. So you just, you know, it might look good now. It's a very emotional subject, like abortion and all that. You have your own rights. You should have your own rights. Isn't it amazing? Abortion was about the rights of people. <laughs> we do a great job of that at the moment, don't we? Um, so, you know, VAD is a, is, a, is a situation where, yes, there will be some people that will get ease their pain and they will get access to it. Um, I just hope that there's never a situation or a time when a government comes in that knows that they're legally able to kill someone now in Queensland and that changes for the worst. We do not want to see that sanctioned by whoever it is or that whatever could happen to say or put a number on it and say, well, you're 65, sorry. Yeah, you know, now you're just a burden on society. I'd hope to think that wouldn't happen. I asked about the... Um, you know, the, the acts of 1992 that, that can be changed through basically, you know, regulation acts. To, but at this time, um, regulation can only change the name of the poison, the way that the poison's handled. It's a hard one, mate. It's a hard one. Some people really want to see it and they think it's good. Most people say, yep, that's the way I want to go. But in actual fact, if you go down the road and have a look at how many people sign up for it, and how many people actually have the courage sometimes to go through with it? Um, yeah, a lot of people pull out of it too. But having access, equitable access for even people with dementia and, and, like I say, really bad mental illness or, you know, that are vegetables that after a car crash, um, you know, at, at the moment they don't have access to some of that. So I'm not a person to, to, to want to put anyone um, in the ground like that. And I, I don't, I didn't, I voted against it because my conscience wouldn't allow it. Yeah, as you said, life is a gift and it's extremely precious. Um, let's, let's move on to, to life because uh, you, you've, uh, you're known to be very friendly and have a good time with your constituents, with your family. What are some of the personal perspectives before we finish this conversation? What are some of the personal perspectives as an MP? What's it like being an MP? What about your hours, the, the vagueness of the work? Uh, but well, you also I'm, are free to speak. I'm one of the blokes that probably gives my number out to people so they can call me at any time. And I don't hide nothing. I don't come in on no caller IDs and all that sort of stuff as some MPs do. Um, most people understand that you know they've got enough respect for you, and you've got enough for them that they call you on a, on a matter that you've got to work with it. And it's a and it's a right honour and a privilege to be able to say, look, what can we do to fix this up? And then what can we do in the in the community? Like we're working on stuff to, at the moment for um, to, to try and fix things with the young children with the crime. Um, I'm working with deterrents with farmers to try and make sure that we've got adequate systems to be able to give people around the neighbourhood early warnings when they have uh, break-ins. Unfortunately, we've come to a situation where I've never seen anything like it. Um, and not only that, it's good to be able to convey people's... You can't get it right every time and you won't ever encapsulate or be able to represent every single view of the community, but you try and do the best you can. Um, and, and the only way to do that is try and engage it and talk to people. But... To see the kids coming up through the district to understand that the old people are there and you can help them and if there's someone comes to you in need that you do the best you can to, to successfully 
meet that need is a, is a great thing and it's a um, huge job that never stops. I don't look at pay or time. I don't think this job's got a time limit. It's just every day and it's every day, it's every morning, it's every night. Um, if you want to do it right, yep. And it's a job that really is representative of democracy and it should never, ever be overrun by party politics or decisions um, within what you do over, overridden or governed by party politics. I think that's one road we've gone down. You know how you, I work very independent. We work together, but you have your way and I have my way. And You're not saying, Stephen, this is the politi- policy. We do have policies, but we don't have it in a situation where, you know, some parties will say, if you did this, you're disendorsed or, well, no way we'll take that stand. Yeah, we work good and we work for the people. We work honestly, we work openly. And, and if you can help, as you know, Malcolm, you help me, I help you. We all work together with Pauline, with, with Mark Latham, whoever's around, we can try and work together to gauge what goes on. So that's a good thing. And we work in an honest, open way. And, and, and one that even if someone was watching what we do, and a lot of our staff do, as you know, they'll always be our biggest critiques and say, look, what about this? We involve everyone and we also involve our community to try and come up with the best outcome. So I'm actually very proud to do what I do. And um, well, let's hope that we can change things some in the coming election federally and start to get back the freedom that we're losing. I see every day that there's more laws, there's more people invoking, you know, facial recognition. Um, the way things are going there in Melbourne there, I don't know how that, what's going to come out of that. The way that we pay tax, the way that we run businesses, um, the way money is spent, the way the things in the state, I think what everyone needs to really come to grips with and every single person in the state and the country is that doesn't matter whether it's electrical companies, whether they're children, children company of the governments, um, they all work for the people, every single one of them. Every single one of them. They work for the taxpayers of Queensland and Australia. And, and I just hope to think that in the next election or whatever people do that they understand that these people do work for them, whether it's the police force, the ambulance, all their frontline people do a great job, but they work for us, the people. Well said. And that, that we're going to finish on that, Steve, because that is ultimately what a, a decent member of parliament should do, serve the people. And, and I just want to com- commend you on that because it's so rare that we hear things like that. We also know that... Um, you work well with other members of parliament, like Catters Australia Party. In fact, you work with anyone who's, who's got the right motives. Um, so I want to thank you very much for, for coming on the program today. I want to celebrate the fact that you are very logical, um, because you're a good thinker, clear thinker, very hard worker, yet you're also personable and dedicated, and you take great responsibility uh, for your job. So I hope everyone has enjoyed Uh, listening to Steve. He's a wonderful person to work with and, and to surf with. Thanks for joining me today, Senator Malcolm Roberts, on Our Nation Today.